but it is the alternative. And, and I very strongly believe that a second term of Trump would be much more damaging to the country than a first term of, of Joe Biden. Dear friends, welcome to another edition of Forum 2000 Online Chat. Joining me today is William Crystal. Uh, your Wikipedia page describes you as an American neoconservative political analyst. Uh, you have served during Ronald Reagan's and George H.W. Bush administrations. Uh, you have also found a now defunct weekly standard. Uh, now you are running a never Trump website called Bulwark. Uh, among being a frequent commentator on several networks. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, Good to be with you. Thank you. Um, I guess my first question is um, actually this term, never Trump. Uh, can you please explain what it means and where it comes from? You know, I'm not sure who invented it in 2016, but it tried to capture, uh, express the sentiments of Republicans who normally vote for the Republican presidential candidate many of these people had worked in previous Republican administrations, as I did, and who would not vote for Trump. Um, and so it was a, a statement of defiance, I guess, never Trump. Now, a lot of people who said that then have since accommodated to Trump and, and rationalized supporting him, but some of us haven't. And so uh, it, it remains a kind of useful shorthand, I think, for opposition, but not just to Trump personally, but to Trumpism to the Trump type of conservatism that has taken over, unfortunately, in my view, uh, the Republican Party, and to some degree, the conservative movement in the US. Uh, one hopes temporarily, but we'll see. And so I think it, it is actually, it conveys more than just a statement of dislike of one person. Okay, that's very interesting. Um, in a February 2020 tweet, uh, you wrote, not presumably forever, not perhaps for a day after November 3rd, 2020, not on every issue or in every way until then, but for the time being, one has to say we are all Democrats now. You later explained it was meant as a warning to Republicans to rethink some of the conservative orthodoxy. Can you please expand on that and tell us a bit more about what you think the future of Republicans looks like these days? And you know, if you could also talk um, a little about um, whether President Trump's response to COVID-19 may have served as a further warning sign when discussing the future of the Republicans and the Republican Party. Yeah, so that, that tweet, I think, was partly intended also to tell Republicans who you know, seriously believe that don't like Trump and don't like Trumpism, that there's no alternative in 2020 but to vote Democratic. They shouldn't waste their vote on a third party or independent candidate, which at the time seemed a little more likely than it does today as, a, as an alternative, or sit it out, uh, or spend a lot of time complaining even about the Democratic Party. It's not my party, and it's not you know, where I am on a lot of issues, but it is the alternative. And, and I very strongly believe that a second term of Trump would be much more damaging to the country than a first term of, of Joe Biden. Um, yeah, on COVID, I do think his response, which is bad, has been bad. Um, and, you know, silly, demagogic, but just incompetent in terms of mobilizing the federal government to deal with it, uh, has hurt him some among voters who are less interested in the rule of law or constitutionalism or liberal democracy, not that interested in foreign policy, perhaps, but they see the consequences. 
of his public health failures, the economic consequences, as well as the health consequences. Uh, and it is striking, if you just look at a chart, let's just look at this last night, the U.S. performance on COVID looks like, just if you just came down from Mars and they gave you a bunch of uh, graphs and charts, and there's Germany and there's almost all of Europe and all the advanced countries and Taiwan and Japan uh, and wealthy countries. And uh, they had different responses and some of them did very badly at first, Northern Italy, for example, and Spain, but they've all basically got the curve going in the right direction and uh, down, so in many cases, quite down quite far. Now we'll see, they'll open up and there'll be resurgences and they may have to do a few things again, but they, they sort of basically have shown that they've handled it adequately, I guess I would say. We, if you just look at our curve, our graph, we look more like Russia, India, Pakistan, Brazil, uh, Mexico. I think those are the five countries I've seen uh, compared to the U.S. And it is actually interesting when you look at the graph, just physically, it, it sort of looks similar. And those are countries, they're fine countries, some of them, and you know, some couple of democracies, a couple not so much, but they're all much less wealthy countries, much less, less state capacity, one would think. And it's kind of embarrassing, frankly, for the US to be in that group and not in the group with Japan, Germany, and so forth. And it's, and it's not inevitable. I mean, the US has some peculiarities of our political culture and federalism and individualism and so forth, but there was no reason that we couldn't have done Better. So I think that's hurt Trump among voters who were less, you know, less focused on some of the bigger foreign policy or, or constitutional democracy sort of, sort of questions. Mm -hmm. And in terms of um, the general atmosphere within the party itself, um, you know, is there any, are there any questions being asked, um, especially now? I mean, in private, yes, but of course people are not very courageous and, uh, mm -hmm. So we, you know, uh, we, it's very depressing publicly, the degree of accommodation. Some of it is fear of uh, the voters and the Republican side who are mostly for Trump. Some of it's fear of the Trump administration and Trump personally attacking them. Some of it is just, it's easier to go along and hopefully not say anything too embarrassing, but just keep your head down. This will, this too shall pass. One hears that a lot. I mean, the Czech experience is quite relevant. I think Havel has been quoted more in the last three years in, uh, in, in the U.S. than maybe the preceding, you know, certainly since he died, you know, and maybe the preceding 30 for all I know, uh, you know, living in the lie and, and the kind of accommodation to, to what you know is a lie. But, and also on the Trump side, the, his willingness, and I think this was a major theme of Havel and Kundera and others, um, Solzhenitsyn, that... Uh, Trump doesn't really expect people to believe his lies, but the ability to lie and not be called out on it is itself just an exercise of power, of authoritarian power. So no, we are in a, I think it's bad. I mean, Trump is, is, is he's not a very competent authoritarian, which is good, but he can still do a lot of damage. I mean, that's the thing that people underestimate, just how much four years of Trump can do real damage to our institutions, our norms, our political culture, and to actual policies, of course, and to government institutions and structures. Eight years would be very, very damaging, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I certainly didn't expect for most of the time I'd been in Washington to be thinking of the U.S. as a country that was, you know, with some serious risk of sliding either into a kind of quasi-authoritarianism or probably more likely just into kind of chaos and, and you know, just a incapacity to govern itself or to assume our responsibilities in the world. But I think we're 
some risk of that. I mean, obviously real damage has been done and uh, how much he can do in the next five months, how much he can do in the two months after election day, assuming he loses. Uh, those are also real questions. But but to get to your point, I mean, the, yes, the, the Trump couldn't get away with any of this without the accommodation of the Republican Party, I think, and, and of a lot of the conservative movement and a lot of conservative intellectuals. Mm-hmm. There was a good piece yesterday somewhere by someone who had left the Soviet Union way back in the 80s. And this is an exaggerated comparison, of course, but, um, you know, it's not as if Stalin personally killed millions of people. A lot of people did it for him. A lot of informers informed uh, about their neighbors for him. A lot of people ganged up. This in particular, this author was thinking of, I think, Pasternak and um, how many people in the literary establishment of the Soviet Union who were serious people, well, well-educated people, of course, um, were happy to join in condemnation of someone like Pasternak or other dissidents or even novelists who weren't that much dissidents, but who wrote something that uh, the, the, the government didn't like. They joined in because it helped their careers, it helped their social standing, it made life easier for them. And not to exaggerate all this, but there is, there's been a certain amount of that too in the U.S. Right. And I guess so much of what you're saying also uh, could hold true for countries that were expecting, um, so the you know, U.S. being this protector of democracy, um, especially like countries that I'm from, Azerbaijan. I mean, the civil society in Azerbaijan has always sort of looked up um, for assistance, but also for guidance and, um, you know, uh, Trump's presidency really have given more credit to the authoritarian leaders like Aliyev uh, than to the independent democratic civil society um, that's on the ground. So I think that's also quite an interesting um, nuance of, of this particular presidential term. Uh, no, it's a depressing one and an important one. And, you know, people have somewhat reassured themselves, and I, I have too a little, that well, Trump personally is, is very bad on likes authoritarians and does nothing to help dissidents and civil society. But, you know, the other institutions of the U.S. government do chug along, and a lot of them do useful things and helpful things. But then just we're speaking here on what Thursday of this week, uh, just yesterday, I think, Trump's new appointee fired the head of Radio for Europe and other, the other uh, independent or semi-independent uh, radios and, and, and news organizations which I think have been useful in, in the, I'm sure they've made mistakes, but I mean, they've been generally useful as part of this broader public diplomacy effort and outreach effort. So the degree to which, and of course we saw in the Ukraine, in Ukraine that people like Bill Taylor and Ambassador Yovanovitch uh, tried to resist and did actually successfully in that case, somewhat resist Trump's efforts to uh, use Ukraine for his own domestic political purposes, but they're gone too. So the guardrails have gradually, the people have gone, he's, they've, they've, they've left, they've been fired. Uh, the guardrails have, are much less prominent than they were in the first year or two. And a lot of people who in the first year or two were sort of, well, look, he he's, doesn't pay much attention. He has a short attention span. He, he'll say stupid things that we won't like, but the, the underlying institutions and processes of the government will go on. That's true to some degree, but I think he's done more damage there than, than a lot of people expected. Right. All right. Um, you've touched a, a little bit about accommodation. Um, and I guess this, again, goes back to Trump's personality, uh, President Trump's personality, um, and his term being described as um, xenophobic, um, authoritarian um, by, by many uh, in the international media, but also commentators. Um, 
And for for some, when 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 this his presidency is being described, you know, they talk about um, the elite conservative um, group accommodating um, his his tactics, shall I say? Um, and you know, this accommodation, you know, you you accommodate before the election, you accommodate during the election, and then you, as you see. Um, policies develop, you know, decisions made, tweets tweeted, um, how does that accommodation last? How, how does that uh, continue? Is, is there any questioning done at, at some point? So there is some, and of course, some people have broken away and people uh, who supported him for the first uh, year, let's say, I know people who left after Helsinki and just couldn't take it anymore, people who've served in the administration, and I think honestly tried to do their best to help the country and to minimize the damage Trump did and advance some sensible policies in some cases. Uh, some of them have spoken out now, John Bolton most uh, uh, notably in the last few days. Um, so that's, that's uh, there's some breaking away, but it turns out that when you start to rationalize, you tend to keep on rationalizing. And it's hard to say you were wrong, and it's hard to sort of change course, and uh, maybe you won't be welcomed so much by the people you're joining because you were on the wrong side for a while. And so the degree to which, and I think we saw, we've seen this in other authoritarian regimes too, the degree to which there's a kind of stickiness to the authoritarian um, attachment uh, more than you would think, even when it's failing, even when it's not doing well, even when you may lose the, probably will lose the election, is a little bit striking. And, and there are real rewards. One shouldn't just ignore that. I mean, there's a massive media infrastructure that rewards Trump defenders. There's a, a lot of business to be gotten from government. We're not in a situation of some countries where, uh, you know, the president just personally gives money away basically to, to friends and family. But, you know, there's a, it's better to be on the good side of Trump than on the bad side if you're trying to get a government contract and in various ways. And, and uh, even if it's a legitimate contract for real work, you know, um, and of course, there was access to the White House always is something people have wanted. So the combination of all these incentives, psychological, sociological, uh, financial, um, yeah, has kept people attached to Trump more than more than I might have expected. Right. Thank you. Um, so thinking a little bit more globally, uh, you know, we've seen we've seen across the world how um, liberal democracies have reached a crisis mode. Um, in fact, Forum 2000, 2018, if I remember correctly, um, the topic was dedicated to democracies in need of a critical update. Um, do you think a shift in November election um, to a different outcome? Uh, may signal, may, may become actually a sign of hope uh, to the rest of the world kind of going through similar experiences, living through similar experiences. I mean, I hope so. And I think it's an opportunity. Obviously, one has to take advantage of the opportunity. Otherwise, it'll just be, you know, four years, presumably, of, of a different president who will be less irresponsible than Trump. But it may not really lead to a revitalization of liberal democracy here at home or of the cause of liberal democracy uh, around the world. So I think there's, you know, a lot of work to be done beginning the day after Election Day. Uh, intellectual work in terms of just, you know, updating, as you said, liberal democracy for the 21st century in terms of a lot of technological and economic and uh, social challenges, uh, rethinking certain aspects, but mostly making the case again 
which has gotten people have just gotten complacent about for you know liberal democracy in the core in its core uh, features against uh, authoritarianism in, of different of different kinds. Uh, you know, the good news, I would say, what's a little hopeful over the last two, three years is it turns out that liberal democracy and lib- the liberal spirit, if I can put it that way, isn't so easy to just crush, and, you know, all over the world. And so despite the lack of encouragement, to say at least for the president of the United States, despite uh, distractions now with COVID and the and economic crisis, despite other leadership failures, I would say, and uh, around the world and distractions, you know, from Hong Kong to... To Central Europe, there are people who are fighting hard for, for freedom. Uh, they may not succeed. I mean, this is where the U.S. does matter, I think, a lot. We're not uniquely, we don't matter uniquely. The European nations matter a lot and others, and, they, and people on the ground matter a lot. But just it's easier if the U.S. is on their side, and uh, uh, both psychologically easier and also practically easier, obviously, if we pressure governments not to crack down and so forth and help peaceful movements, uh, protests. And so that's where I think, um, but I think one, so one good aspect of Trump in a way is that it's reawakened a lot of Americans, I think, from their complacency about liberal democracy and sort of reminded some people, I'd say some of my friends on the left who've been so averse to interventionism after Iraq and, and so, I don't know, spooked by any kind of rhetoric about freedom because Bush used it, you know, that it's reminded them that, fine, they could disagree about some issues like that, but uh, and, and use a little different rhetoric, but uh, they too presumably believe in the liberal world order, and you don't have a liberal world order, and you don't have progress uh, towards liberal democracy around the world unless uh, someone, in this case the U.S., works very hard to keep that liberal world order healthy and helps those who are fighting for liberal or arguing for liberal democracy. So I think it's been a little bit of a rebirth almost of understanding of that compared to the, what I would say is the complacency in a sense of the, maybe the Obama years. Right. Um, speaking of rebirth, um, I guess one last question, and it's one that's been in the news all over the last uh, couple of weeks, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and protests and what they've actually managed to change uh, or continue to change because there have been news about changes in the legislation and funding and whatnot. Um, if you could just give us um, your, your opinion about the movement and how that has also changed um, Americans' perspective on the political landscape and also administration's response to the protests. So going backwards, maybe the administration's response has been, I think, bad and, and, and people haven't liked it. I mean, it's striking to me how many conservatives, Americans who are not radical on, on the issue of race, who don't like the narrative that America is horribly, irredeemably flawed or that, you know, we, we can never overcome that legacy or that there's nothing good in the American past. How many conservatives, though, are unhappy with Trump's divisiveness, his failure to reach out, to try to calm things down. I mean, one thing one does expect of a a president, I think here and elsewhere, is in times of crisis and turmoil, whatever the underlying merits and issues in a way, you want someone, a president who will say, look, I understand the whole, I'm speaking for the whole country, we need to have peace and, 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 and law and order in the good sense, you know, and not have looting on one side or police violence on the other. And uh, I'm going to work hard to bring everyone together. Just the failure to do that minimal thing that leaders do um, has hurt Trump, I think, among some, among some voters. 
In terms of the significance of it, I mean, we'll have to see. Uh, it is, you know, the race issue, one always, the one, I mean, I at least have at times thought, well, that's, we're kind of beyond it. It's, it's going to work out. And we made massive progress and, you know, in many, many ways. But it is always a reminder that it is such a huge part of the Amer- of American history and of the American landscape. And, 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 you know, unfortunately, the progress isn't quite what some of us thought or hoped. Um, I think it's very important in reacting to it, not to make mistakes also, though. And, and, and so that's some danger of a kind of mob mentality on the left, I'd say, both intellectually and, and practically. So uh, that's going to be a challenge for, I don't expect much from Trump, but that'll be a challenge for the next administration, for the political class in general, for the intellectual class in general. But again, making the case for freedom, for liberal democracy, for uh, equality of citizens, uh, but not going to a kind of left authoritarianism to make sure that no one ever says anything different from what is, is currently the correct thing to say. That would also be, be, be a mistake, obviously, So, I think. So, you know, I think it's a challenging time. But again, kind of an opportunity. I would say a lot of people are rethinking somewhat complacent attitudes they had. I'd say that would be true for me, too, about the police. I generally had personally had not had bad experiences, and most Americans haven't, I would gather, I would guess. And, and uh, you know, we kind of, the crime rate in America went down a lot over the last 20, 30 years, which was a good thing and helped a lot of people, uh, including a lot of African Americans. So there's been a certain tendency to kind of dismiss some of the complaints and, and, and about police violence and brutality. I think that's been a useful uh, wake up that uh, looking at big reforms there is also important. And we've gotten much too complacent. I keep coming back to the word complacent. Maybe that's in a way the the bottom line that we we need the complacency in a way permitted Trump complacency permits him, uh, but we need to overcome a kind of complacency about how well we're doing and be serious about reforming what has to be reformed and defending what has to be defended. And that's an excellent wrap for for this interview. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was a really an interesting interview for me personally. It's really nice to meet you. Well, nice to meet you, if only virtually, and maybe sometime <laughs> in person in Prague or Istanbul. Good. Absolutely. Thank you so much. My pleasure.